this is Lena, and this is episode two of Remembering Palestine. Today, we will be discussing um, the mental health and well-being of children living in Palestine. Yes, we are very excited to get into this topic. Um, it's unfortunately a really heavy topic, so we apologize if it's like a bit much for some, but this is just a reality that we have to face because, you know, Palestinian children and Palestinians in general don't have the option to just, you know, not face it and ignore these topics. So I think it's important that we talk about it. Um, there's been, I'm sure as you can guess, a lot of studies and a lot of research that shows that uh, depression and PTSD and in children and even in adults in Palestine, specifically in Gaza, is extremely high, much higher than that of, you know, any other population. Um, there's even like reports that go as high as 91% of children in, in Gaza suffer from PTSD. And this is, um, this was a report by the Euro-Mediterranean Human Rights Monitor. Um, and this is just, you know, one report, and there are many, you know, studies that go more deeply into it. Um, so that's what we're going to do today. We're going to get more deep into, like, that. <laughs> um, so just to start, um, I just thought that this would be a good, we thought that this would be a good topic. And it's funny because I didn't think of it until after um, me and Luna decided to record this episode, like just like 10 minutes ago, <laughs> I remembered that um, I actually had this study that I read for class um, and I actually did a presentation on. Um, it was about the mental health screening of war-torn populations. So it wasn't exactly, it was more like from a, you know, a different perspective that they looked at it. But um, in the end, in the study, they showed um, the like traumatic experiences of children in Gaza was like extremely high. Um, in fact, they they saw that they actually took into account like a lot of possible traumatic events like house shelling, home demolitions, um, being denied access to medical care, witnessed anyone being killed, family being men uh, family members being injured by occupying forces, being beaten by occupying forces shot at with live ammunition just they they named like 17 traumatic war experiences like that that were common to have occurred and unfortunately some of these things were really common so for example being injured by occupying forces 69 percent of children um under the age of 18 um had reported being injured by occupying forces 55 percent had reported uh, having a family member injured by the occupying forces, and uh, 54% um, reported having their house shelled. And so the mean number, so the average number of traumatic war experiences event for the children who were included in the study was four. So they had at least four of these, these traumatic experiences happening, which is something that you don't see, um, fortunately, in other places of the world. Um, which is actually really, you know, sad <laughs> because it just shows how bad, you know, the situation is in Gaza for children. And, and that's, yeah. sorry, I, I was like, I was thinking what you were saying. I was like, that's like crazy to think that it, like all the, like those are children, right? So like for a child to report all that, like that's like incredibly like 
not weird, but like incredibly like sad and scary for that to be somebody's situation because like that's that's like insane to think that someone yeah. could go through that. Like imagine like I I couldn't ever imagine going through that, but like imagine a child just that's just what they've been through, and they're like, yeah, that's what I had to go through, and I just don't know how like. I don't know that's like sort of crazy to me to be honest when you like think about it in numbers and like how young or even how old these children could be but they're still children when it happened yeah exactly I'm sorry I go on it sometimes I start talking and I'm like too deep into it so just like yeah. no oh my god no 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 I was no no you're doing great I <laughs> no. don't mind our prep talk guys we like prep each other up we're like yeah you're doing great <laughs> yeah um so yeah of course these things have like huge effects I mean mentally for these children so in the study they also um like looked at the post-traumatic symptoms that these children were suffering from so they had once again a whole list of symptoms I think it was 27 um 26 possible um symptoms post-traumatic symptoms they had like uh they did they divided them actually post-traumatic symptoms stress symptoms and depressive symptoms and also like some somatic symptoms and by somatic symptoms they mean like um headaches and nausea uh heart heart beats fast or they're sweating um even like daytime or nighttime bedwetting anything like that like night terrors yeah yeah that kind of stuff um so and this one is like really crazy it's like out of the 26 possible post-traumatic reactions the average number of symptoms experienced by these children was 15 so the average child reported 15 of these like ptsd and stress and depression depressive symptoms like nightmares and bad dreams of like trouble focusing, sleep disturbances, low energy, thinking about death, crying a lot, changes in appetite, like all of these things. And the mean the average number is 15, which to me is like crazy and very yeah. sad. That's like insane. Like that's actually insane. Like and the issue is when you think about it, like there aren't many resources for them to access to like sort of receive help for this. So, like, that's, and also, like, that's something you're going to have to, like, deal with. Like, that's trauma. So, you're going to deal with that for the rest of your life. And it's just, and on top of that, like, it's still going on, right? There's always going to be, like, somewhat of violence. There's always going to be, like, altercations, um, protests. So, it's always going to be, like, you're living in your nightmare again and again. And you're a child. And to report, like, 15 of those symptoms, that's, like, crazy, like, insane. like in a really horrible way like, um yeah no that's actually like insane because like uh the study that I read a study that I just recently read was discussing sort of like the same things about what children felt within the West Bank and they had like reported that 80 percent had uh, claimed well not claimed but reported that they were always scared and depressed due to the fact that like they always knew that something would happen but they're always you know like there's always fear there's as a child and even as an adult we always have that fear and also that's and like that sense of helplessness of like just seeing it happen over over again um also tied into that yeah exactly and also i mentioned earlier um like thinking about death, but I saw like from another report um, where it said that like 20, 25, like about 25, like about a quarter percent of Palestinian teens have like made attempts to suicide. 
Um, so that's kind of crazy. <laughs> um, and this is like compared to like to other um, countries, it's like much lower. Um, so that's really sad. Yeah, it's definitely really sad. And like, again, it it's sad because it sort of is, it's not it's not just something that will blow over. It's something that will like have lifelong effects and will definitely be trauma. And again, accessing that care is really hard within Palestine. So, mm-hmm. and I guess even like culturally too, it's not something that was discussed as often. So like it makes it even harder, I think. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's not just like, because people are like, oh, yeah, but it's like, it happens all over the Middle East and, you know, because of more torn countries, but like, like, Palestine actually has the highest level of depression in all of the Middle East, um, in the entire Eastern Mediterranean region as a whole, not just, you know, so that's kind of, you know. It's just really sad sad when you think about like, that these are kids, and I, I honestly, I don't know, it's, it's really insane to me to think that this is like these are children and like they're going through this yeah and just speaking about like like the 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 survey that not the survey the study that I was like speaking about they they mentioned PTSD and they used it the term PTSD but actually remember like reading this like really interesting quote so I had to pull it up it was this um doctor I believe she was she's a psychiatrist her name is Sama Jabir and she's also um, the chair of the mental health unit at the, at the Palestinian Ministry of Health. And she said this like quote that really like hit me. I'll read the entire thing. Um, so like one thing that I really, really hit me was that she said there is no post because the trauma is repetitive and ongoing and continuous. I think we need to be authentic about our experiences and try not to impose on ourselves ourselves experiences that are not ours. So basically what she's saying is like post-traumatic stress disorder, it's like PTSD. It's it's when something traumatic happened in the past and then you still suffer from its consequences. But there's no post when you're in Gaza, especially because it's just ongoing, like every few months even. And at least, you know, once a year, there's like some yeah. new strikes and new bombings. So like as you're trying to recover from like the trauma that, has happened there's like more trauma added on it's just continuous and ongoing so there's no when is the post you know the, there's only a post once when, when you're away from the trauma but the trauma is ongoing so yeah I think that's like yeah that's like a really that's actually like no I'm happy that I heard this one because we had discussed you telling me this and then you cut out or I cut out and I'm actually yeah. happy that I didn't hear it because like now hearing it I'm like that makes such a good point because when we think of like vet like vets coming back from war or any like you know medics that worked in war zones we hear about PTSD but they're away from it right like but they're just reoccurring mm-hmm. because of the memories and the trauma but but they have the like capacity to heal at that point because they're away from it they've been taken away from that nightmare but like mm-hmm. children they're still there and if you think about it in the past 15 years especially children in gaza and the strip they've endured like at least six major moments um five escalations of violence and then the covid-19 pandemic which definitely isolated them more from the rest of the world and isolation within itself is never good for anyone so that those type of effects will definitely like increase like i guess their own mental health and 
and put I guess could put them in a downward spiral because of all these like major moments that have happened and there is the Gaza blockade and with all that going on yeah and you mentioned a good point with like the nightmares and stuff like when people come back from like a war zone and it's actually like another quote that I want to quote another piece that I want to quote from her is that like relates to exactly what you just said and she said like PTSD better describes the experiences of an American soldier who goes to Iraq to bomb and then goes back to the safety of the United States so he's having nightmares and fears related to the battlefield and his fears are imaginary whereas for a Palestinian in Gaza whose home was bombarded the threat of having another bombardment is a very real one it's not imaginary so just like as you mentioned it's like they can kind of like start the healing process because now they're no longer in danger so um, the nightmares that they're having is not real. You know, it's not a real bombardment that's happening. So it's like something they have to work on. But it's like, it's a fear that's, I don't want to say like, his, the fears are imaginary. I don't mean that like it, it's less because it's imaginary. I'm not trying to diminish it. But it's not the same when the fear is actually very realistic. It's very real that possible that the, the next day, tomorrow or after tomorrow, there's going to be another bombardment, you know. And that's yeah. a good point. Like that's yeah, that's like a really good come, point. Sorry, yeah. Whereas people who come back from like a from a battlefield, usually they go back to the states. It's like you know, it's not a real, it's not a likely fear. Let's just say they've been taken away from that nightmare, right? And um, I think also the fact is that um, I guess it's not like it. Maybe it isn't even fair to state like like again like soldiers they go to fight but children are born in those situations so they are like basically the innocent victims of war so and they're still stuck in those situations and then on top of that children in gaza and palestine they have so many other things adding on um physical harm like assault or any type of violation from soldiers or settlers and then economic deprivation so we all know like how how bad economic the economic situation is in Gaza the lack of healthcare the lack of supplies and food and health um, services there's a big lack of that and just to get that essential services um within healthcare for mental health is really hard so like how do you expect somebody to heal and you know it it's a constant reminder but there are no resources so i think like again that sort of ties in like there's so many other factors and it never really ends for them yeah and that's a good point like i i read somewhere that it said that um like the population of palestine uh, it's like 4.8 million people but there are just 32 psychiatrists so that's definitely not enough so there are like way too few mental health professionals that can help them and it's just unfortunate because and also a thing that like was covered in like the study that I was reading is that you know they kind of have not that they have bigger stuff to worry about but you know they, they don't necessarily have the money especially in Gaza to like invest in mental health and they don't have much time necessarily and they have other stuff to you know worry about like you know their physical safety before they can start thinking about mental health it's kind of a privilege privilege to be able to take care of your mental health and you know get the help you need because you know if, if your life if you're physically in danger then you can't get the help you need mentally yeah and I think the privilege like 
saying that it is privilege i think that's really like that's what it really is like we're i guess if we compared it to um a soldier that came back from iraq or afghanistan there i'm not saying that he has a privilege but he does at the end or she does like at the end of the day they've been taken away from that situation and they have services that are available to vets and to uh soldiers and person and military personnel that help them on that like journey of recovery or help them with just even like just a safety net when they come back if they have those mental traumas but in Palestine and especially within the Gaza Strip where you constantly have blockades and you have a violence and you have wars and you have protests and you have that unstable life and just circumstances where in like one day you might have a house and one day you might have food and you have both your parents the next day that's all gone there's no like let's be real there's not really the, there's no chance so, like there's not a really high chance for that healing or even just to like try to move on. So again, like that is a privilege to be able to be like, okay, I have all these issues, but I have a privilege to be able to seek help or have help ready to me at little to no cost. Yeah, exactly. And these um have these have like really devastating effects. Like when because it's untreated, they have like very devastating effects um for children in school you know and just in every aspect of their lives like especially for children you know the most important things in their life at that point is is school right and you you mentioned this um organization to me maybe you can like mention more about it um about like this school yeah so the right to play is an organization um who basically sort of they they do studies and they try to sponsor children within the Gaza Strip and throughout Palestine. And they basically try to help kids, you know, set up like activities or, you know, just try to fund them to do the things that normal kids would do. Um, they don't sponsor us, by the way, but they are like pretty they're a pretty cool organization, in my personal opinion. Um, and they have some really good statistics and they do a lot of good work. And I was actually sort of like reading about them before. And something that really stuck to me, like, you know how we see like we don't see violence on a daily basis. We're pretty privileged to live in a place where we don't see that. But um, their recent study just said that 61% of students have witnessed physical violence at school. So either that is soldiers or, you know, military personnel or some type of settler coming in, or even if it's just altercations because of the effects of trauma, there is violence within schools. And that's sort of in itself concerning because school is sort of that one place that children should feel safe and like should be able to learn peacefully to build their future and to be a productive member of society. But the fact that 61% of children have witnessed some type of physical violence at school is really tragic in its own self because not not only is school not a safe place but there's also violence and more trauma happening at school um they also sort of discuss like sort of like stories and children's own like what happened and they sort of talk about that and giving them a chance to talk about it um one thing that sort of like stuck out to me that was out of, I believe, in the Gaza Strip, only 6% of youth are registered members of, I guess, there's there's the main sports club there, and 2% are girls and 11% of boys. And again, 50% of the population within the Gaza Strip is made up of children. So to think that only 6% are members of a sports club 
and this is a Gaza Strip, so there are probably not that much sports clubs for children. Like, there's probably a couple. And the main one only has 6% of youth. Like, that's insane because, like, every kid should have, like, you know, a chance to, you know, do a sport, do something. And that in itself is sort of that, you know, like, sports can be sort of therapeutic and can sort of, like, relieve a lot of stress. So, and just active kids are happy kids in general. So, like, I just feel like that in itself is crazy to think 6% and 50% of the population are children within the Gaza Strip. Yeah, and unfortunately, sometimes they, they don't even have, they can't even go to school. And so many things that we don't necessarily realize are a privilege for us. For example, like going to school, I know kids, kids, we hated it. But at the end of the day, it's a privilege because, you know, especially in Gaza, sometimes in the West Bank as well, um, you know, school is disrupted because of the violence and it's just, they, they're not safe, you know. Um, and there's actually a lot of like uh, United Nations, uh, United Nations, like UNRWA, U-N-R-W-A, um, reports about this. Um, so I remember I, I pulled up one report that said that like the education of 270,000 children was disrupted, was disrupted because of the last um, outbreak of violence in Gaza. So they had to close down all the schools, all the UNRWA schools in the in the Gaza Strip, because of because of danger, pretty much. Um, and a lot of these schools are targeted, like within like airstrikes or like bombings. Um, unfortunately, like a lot of places that children like that are set up by, you know, like or NGOs or organizations like nonprofits or just you know like types of government-run organizations to try to like create those centers of learning and those safe places for children are targeted and they are not deemed safe afterwards and not only does that like interrupt like of course when there's violence you know you can't go to school but then once a place that you go to school or a place that you go to play um, sports or like learn activities or hobbies or whatever is sort of gone or not safe that also prolongs your absence and again like that in itself is traumatic because that is something like that every child should have access to, right? Every child should have access to school and have a safe place and be able to do the things that every other child does. But because it's been targeted, they aren't they aren't allowed to do that at that point. So that in itself is like really disturbing. Yeah, and like even like the like the more like ba- basic things or like logistic things of school, like, you know, like having homework, writing papers, having like a, um doing stuff with the internet you know you need google nowadays for like yeah um a lot of that stuff becomes like impossible to do because of like the constant bombing like what do you do if like how are you doing your homework if your house is like you don't have a house you know like your homework literally blew up like i'm sorry like it's horrible like i i don't even mean this as like a joke i mean this like seriously like all of your 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 notes everything that your all your material everything is like caught on fire um, you don't have like access to internet because all half the time, you know, there's like, like um, electric out, electrical out, out outages. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so there's no internet, like just logistically, how are you supposed to like. And also a lot of, sorry to interrupt, but like things done and it's actually like something that, yeah. No, uh, my internet. No, my internet keeps saying? cutting. My internet keeps cutting, so it goes like blanking sometimes. So I'm like, oh, I'm gonna say something, and then you say something, and I'm like, oh, never mind. Um, but 
something that like sort of struck me when you were talking about like the their conditions I think it's really important to understand like that the living conditions like are also not that great like for children um just because you know like run like running water um being able to just have electricity have heat have you know whatever all those things that we have and we take for granted a lot of the time they don't have access to um 73% of the population of the Gaza strip and 28.5% of the population of the West Bank are registered um as refugees so if you think about that like that's insane that people from their own country are registered as refugees and don't have access to all that like yeah. the instability that creates for children and the issue is that sort of like it, it's not even a sorta it's just the instability within itself is so detrimental because if you don't have stability and you don't have a home and you don't have access to your primary needs like water uh, clean water electricity a safe place to live a safe place to go to school food like you're you're not setting a, a generation up for success and you're not setting anything up for success you're it's a failed system and it's a it's like a deadly cycle um there's like a really good quote there's a really good documentary called born in palace uh in palestine or born in gaza i believe and in the quote uh, in the movie they sort of discuss all these things but one thing that really i'll always remember is i think one of the kids said i live in one of the biggest air prisons in the world open air prisons in the world and it took me a moment to realize that he had meant like I live in a place where I can do wherever I want like I can walk out onto the street but I'm limit like I don't have like the rights I I'm basically a prisoner in my own land like I don't get to go out and he lived I believe within the Gaza Strip so the blockade was sort of going on at that time so he was like I don't get to do a lot of things that other kids get to go like go away on holiday go to the beach get to go on like all these fun things because I don't have that right to do that because I live in one of the biggest open air prisons in the world. Yeah, exactly. That's really sad that like even as a child, like you have to be like aware of that. And and yeah, you also mentioned like how are you supposed to like get things done if you don't have like access to basic needs? And I just thought of like 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 high school. Like I know they like I'm always like, oh they teach you nothing in high school, but I remember like the the pyramid the maslow's hierarchy of needs and it's like the cycle physiological needs are at the bottom and then like this like the more like self-esteem and act self-actualization stuff is at the top so if you don't have your your most basic needs like water yeah. food shelter especially shelter you know how are you supposed to have you know good self-esteem how are you supposed to be able to have a feeling of self-actualization like you have no more goals at that point you know how are you supposed to like have hope for the future and like have goals when when you can have like the bottom of the pyramid like your most basic needs aren't met so maybe you think of that yeah and that's like that's 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 exactly and I think like maybe this is just me but like I honestly do think that once somebody is conditioned to like believe that like there's no hope for me you give up right like it's just a human nature thing but like I've always sort of like been very like wowed but also like really just like in shock of like how like determined Palestinians are in general because like they as they go through some of the worst conditions they've lived through a lot they you know the things they have to go through on a daily are like scary and just 
horrible. I, I don't know how they do it, but they're still really resilient and they still like every time there's they're they're bombed or there's airstrikes um by the state, they still sort of like stand up and like re- go back and they rebuild and they do everything and they they know that it's gonna happen again and again, but they're not gonna give up. And I think like that in itself is like I, I don't know. I just sort of like I know it's not really to our topic, but I was like that's always something that always stuck out to me. And I honestly would love to have that determination because that is really good determination like I don't know how they do it Mm -hmm. yeah it's it's very like like fascinating to see because like it's like I don't think I'd be capable of that kind of stuff you know like I so I really much respect um yeah honestly um I also think it's really important to mention that like as we know Palestine is there are so many things going on and there are so many people who live in Palestine. Um, It's a melting pot of different people. Um, You have Jews, you have Christians, you have Muslims, and you have a lot of ethnicities that live there from different countries. And the violence doesn't just affect children in like that live in the West Bank or live in occupied their territories, or it also affects all children and all adults too. But the effects on these children are way more because again, they aren't, they aren't grown and they and to be conditioned from such a young age to endure such things is Mm -hmm. detrimental within their growth and it can lead to like a lot of negative outcomes um within like you know it's just a violent circle um I think definitely there is a certain population that definitely has a lot more trauma but I think children who live in all these situations have trauma whether they be Israeli children or whether they be Palestinian children so I think that's something really important to know it's not benefiting anyone the violence that's going on in Palestine isn't benefiting anyone everyone still has trauma like everyone's still being affected Um, one more than the other in my personal opinion but it's still trauma regardless you're still crippling a generation and trauma and like trauma is detrimental but um, growing hate is really detrimental because if you've conditioned somebody so hard with violence the the natural instinct is to have hate so when these children from a young age see settlers taking their homes or see their houses being bombed their parents or families being arrested um, their family members or parents being killed from such a young age and having the lack of stability of a safe place to go or reaching out for mental health help or like even just doing fun activities that are so limited to them because of the economic situation where they live like that creates a whole different level of hate but also like it's scary what that can grow into and what it leads to yeah for sure and and also like like you mentioned like uh, the adults obviously it has an effect on adults as well and just to say that the effects that the adults again has an impact on children because you know there's just no it's no secret that if like your mother or your caregiver is like depressed um and constantly unhappy then it's going to have effect on the children because children pick up on that um and this is like a pretty known concept in like the field of psychology there's like if, if parents or mothers with with depression are more likely to have children that are not doing mentally well so depressed mothers are not are going to have kids who are less mentally well um so like there's actually a, there was another report that i'm going to mention um it's from save the children it's like a british organization and they had this report that they called trapped 
and they were looking at like the mental health of like children and just adults also in 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 Gaza and they looked at the like caregiver at one like a certain part of it they looked at the caregiver's level of emotional stress and they reported that 96% of of caregivers were unha- unhappy and constantly anxious that's 96% of caregivers so that has you know an effect on the children like you children can feel these things i mean anyone yeah. can feel these things um yeah and like 63% said they felt useless and 61 said they felt that they were unable to overcome difficulties and 39% said that they lacked self-confidence. And these are really important things when you're a caregiver. You're, you have to be, you know, at your best to take care of your children. Well, you know, if you're not doing well mentally, then how are you supposed to provide for your for your child once again? Yeah. So, it's just sad. so it's like an intergenerational trauma and the effects that it has, like the, the children are almost doubly affected because they're they're first hand first handedly. Um, experiencing the effects of of like of trauma because they're experiencing these traumatic experiences but also they're taking this trauma from their caregivers as well and this starts at a really young age so even like a two-year-old who might not understand okay our house is bombed they still feel like their mother's distress um so it's even as young as like two three four five that these kids are being affected even though they don't know what's going on they can feel that they're the, the like their mother being depressed is going to have an effect on them, you know? So. Yeah. And the Save the Children, that's one of the reports that I actually have pulled up right now. Um, their report is actually really good because they also discuss what the caregivers, so even like, you know, like a lot of people sort of, and this is a really ignorant approach, but a lot of people are like, oh, these are kids, you know, they'll exaggerate, they'll do this and that. But care uh, in the same report, um, caregivers, they described um, the concerning behavior that they witnessed with children and young people. And 79% reported on the increase of bedwetting over the past few years, and 78 reporting that their children rely, um, rely, com- oh, sorry, uh, their relay completed tasks. And that in itself is sort of concerning, like 70, like the whole 79% on bedwetting, like that's a lot. Like that's, that's an, if you think about it, the numbers are insane. Like that's not, I'm not saying that's like not normal, but I'm saying it's not normal if that was a healthy kid. Right. But because they have, they are dealing with so much trauma and mental and mental health well-being, like not their well-being isn't that great. That is a perfectly normal response, but that figure within itself is crazy that 79 caregivers are reporting that their children bed their wet uh, their beds and that it keeps getting worse and worse um about and also like something that sort of stood out to me was about 59% of them report that their children are increasingly having difficulties in speech and language and communication um and some of them even unfortunately become temporary mute um, which is a very big symptom and sort of sign of trauma or abuse. And these are all going to have like immediate long-term impacts on their development, their learning and their social interaction. So all these effects, which could be treated with, you know, support and mental health um, uh, services, regardless, are going to have a lot of issues down the line. Like just, it's going to sort of, it's not going to, maybe like cripple isn't the best word, but it will hinder their 
success in you know being the best version of themselves because they have all these nightmares and all these fears and the physical and mental effects of what has happened to them yeah and also like before you mentioned the like you know people are saying oh maybe like the self-reported children is not accurate you know but um in the same that report that we're talking about the trapped report it's a 99 percent of caregivers reported that their children had an increase of fearful of, of feelings of feeling fearful and anxiety so like during the the, May, the escalation in, in may in 2021 so 99 of, of like the parents are even seeing this like 99 percent like that's basically 100 percent. that's almost 100 percent. so it just goes to show that it's and like think about that like half yeah. of the half of the population as of now is like is young children is children so that's basically that's I don't know that's insane to me to think like that almost everybody is reporting that their child is showing signs of fear and depression and PTSD Mm -hmm. and there's nothing that they can do and that in itself can really be traumatic to a parent because you know, most parents, majority parents, they want to be able to give their children the best lives possible and be able to help and save their kids. But when you just have to watch your child endure something, that in itself is traumatic. Exactly. So it works both ways, like both both ways, like the kids seeing their parents um, doing unwell, being unwell, you know, mentally has a huge impact impact on the kids, but also um, the kids have doing unwell mentally has a huge impact on the parents. So it's like a two-way thing where it's just like everyone's just negatively affected and and then they're just like inter negatively affecting each other if that makes sense it's a cycle it's like a really bad it's like it's not a I almost want to say it's like a toxic cycle because it is like there is no it doesn't end right because you don't like only I think only maybe a few people can like really get out of it with the few resources that there are because there are definitely people that have been able to do it but like just the general public there aren't enough tools available to them to help them end the ongoing situation with violence Mm -hmm. and blockades and that and like the COVID pandemic definitely did not help because there was already a a large like feeling of isolation from the outside world even a child could recognize it like oh I live in an open air prison like that's insane like I don't think I would have ever thought of that as a child um, and then when the pandemic hit and you have lockdown and you have isolation, that in itself is, you know, that leads to so much more depression because you feel so alone yeah, and you know exactly. that nobody's going to do anything to help you. Yeah, they also like closed schools for that. The, a lot of the UN schools were closed for it. And it's just like sometimes school is the only place where they have to interact with their friends and peers. And that can be like a, a buffering effect for when you have like, depression and anxiety but unfortunately we don't have that opportunity anymore and also like it's kind of like depressing that it's it's not getting any better like the the report that we're still talking about the draft report um it's like just shows that like between like 2018 they looked at like 2018 and 2021 and like all of this everything is just getting worse like feeling unsafe um feeling unsafe feeling depressed feelings of grief uh, feeling tense and nervous it's they've all just like increased by like a lot in just a few years and it could be like a cumulative effect you know like 
with every strike, you know, it just gets worse. And these kids are just growing up. Like, you know, when they were five, they had one strike. Now they're seven, they have another one. They're, they're 10, they have another strike. So it's like a cumulative effect. And like, like we mentioned before, like the PTSD thing, it's like, you can't even fully recover from the first strike, not just financially, like, cause it's a whole different topic, like financially, you know, um, infrastructure, yeah. like before you can even recover, it's like, there's another one and you're just back down. So it's also mentally, it's like, you're trying to recover from the strike that happened two years ago. Oh, but then there's another one. Then you're and trying I, to recover from that. And, and I think one. the financial, sorry, but I think the financial thing was a really good thing to like, that's a whole different subject, like you said, but yeah. um the thing is with that is that a lot of children do provide with their families to help make ends meet and the and and again like like I said like the situation especially within the Gaza Strip and the West Bank is so like tragic within itself it's so horrible that like a lot of people do live in poverty and a lot of children work to help their families just put food on the table and be able to live in a place even if the living condition isn't that great they just need a roof over their head because their homes have been taken um and work is so scarce too and like these are children right and if your school's being bombed and your your learning is always being interrupted you might there's always that thing well I might as well go to work and make some money because mm-hmm. I'll never really get, be able to graduate or even if I do graduate like you know like what do I know because every every five months there's a new bombing and then it takes them yeah. a whole year to make something new and the conditions like, yeah they're not even like guaranteed like like it's sad to say but they're not even guaranteed like growing old enough to even work you know it's like and the job situation within like all these situations there is a their employment rates are crazy just like there are no jobs like within these areas so a lot of people go out to work in other areas and that creates mm-hmm. also the dysfunction within families like if your father has you know been approved to go somewhere else to work to be able to provide for you and you know he's doing his best but again i think every child should have access to a mother and father so when one parent is away it puts stress on a different and on that the parent that is there which again puts stress on the child because they feel some children feel that they're a burden because because of me my dad had to go and work and it's not their fault but it's just a situation but these are also contributing factors and when you don't have a father figure or you know what even a mother figure that definitely leads to other situations like other issues like just that feeling of abandonment and even though you know they didn't abandon you like they, they're gone right so you don't feel like you have nobody and that that again that isolation too yeah and like you said like like the unemployment I just want to add this like crazy high it's like 44 percent and just for comparison because we're Canadians like the unemployment rate in Canada is four percent but in Gaza it's 44 so like that's like absolute like it's crazy you know 44 percent like yeah. almost half of the population is unemployed and un- unemployment they counted as people who are looking to be employed, right? And they can't be employed. So 44, half of the people who are looking for jobs, nearly half of the people who are looking for jobs can't even find jobs. So it's like, what's the point anymore? It's like feeling of just hopelessness. It's just everything together is like just leading towards them having just horrible mental health. And it's it's really sad. And as you mentioned once again before, like this has an effect on like how they feel and and like hatred and stuff like that. Um, the, the same trapped report that we're talking about like they they did um like show that like this these have behavioral manifestations these the, this depression and their mental like non non well-being 
you know, makes them more aggressive. So they said that 92% of, of children and young people's in, in Gaza have aggressive behavior. 92, like 92% feel irritable. 73% feel relentless. Um, so it's just like, you can't be surprised after when there's like some animosity and hatred and anger. Um, it's just all interrelated. So, yeah. Are you still here? Uh, no, I'm I'm right here. I honestly, I was just, I was sort of taking it in because that's like deep. Like that's, and I'll tell you why I was taking it in because while you were talking, I was going over the numbers and like the statistics that they did a comparison. Um, so the same organization, they actually did an org, uh, like a little report before on 2018, I believe, and they were comparing statistics. And while you were talking about all those things. I was like, this is a crazy like number of changes because the report found a huge increase in children who reported feeling fearful. So 84% compared to the 50% that reported it within 2018. So in a short period, like a short period of time, from you went from 50% of children feeling fearful to 84%. And nervous is the same thing. We have 80% compared to the 55%. Sad or depressed, 77% compared to the 62 Grieving, which is 78 compared to 55 And that just tells you how much more violence and death has escalated within the West Bank. Yeah, um, exactly. So that's what... That's what we were talking about before when we said like it's just like a cumulative effect. Sorry, I speak too fast sometimes and I trip up on my words, but it's a cumulative effect, you know, because like you can't recover from your last one. So you're just it just keeps getting worse. Um, I think that's that's part of it. It just keeps getting worse. It's like, you know, 50 percent. We're not doing fine. But then two years later, it's like 80 percent because then the extra 30 percent are like, OK, it's it's too much now. They, 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 it was like handle because it's like you know two years apart there's another strike you know so yeah and if you were like that that in itself is like scary but like something that I think I don't I when I, I'm like I read this and I was like oh my god this is insane but um more than half of the of the Gaza's children or more than half of the children in Gaza have com- have complement oh I can't even speak but contemplated su- suicide and three out of four three out of five are self-harming that's really sad yeah so that's insane like three out of five are self-harming and oh. the children um have complicated suicide that's insane to think yeah yeah and it's like it's it's much it's much uh lower in other places like you know canada i'm sure i don't know the the exact number but uh, how much did you say it was um i said it was three and and five yeah three out of five for the self-harming and then a very large amount of children have contemplated suicide yeah, that's that's really horrible. And I wonder like what these ages are, but like again, anybody who's like going through this is that's like that's these are definitely the effects of like trauma and how they're processing their trauma and the fact that they feel like this is like necessary or like they feel like these are my options is insane. Okay. Yeah. 
Okay, like I had to Google it because I was like, I need to know like for comparison because it's nice to have comparisons to see like mm-hmm. what it's like compared to like our reality. And here it says um, like in Can- the Canadian website, like Canada.ca, so it's an official source. <laughs> it says the percentage of adults reporting suicide ideation, ideation um, is is 2.7. Well, since the, the pandemic began, which worsened it is 2.73%. So suicidal ideation is 2.73% in Canada. And in Gaza, it's three out of five. Now, I'm not good at math, but I think that's like, how much percent is that? That's a lot. <laughs> oh my that's... God, we're probably we that bad at math. We are. Okay, I'm going to, it's three out of five. I'm going to have to Google it shamelessly because I'm sorry, my brain doesn't work. It's 60%. I think I feel, I think I should have known this, but it's sixty percent. So again, reminder: in Canada, suicidal ideation is is two point seven three percent, and in Gaza, it's sixty percent. That's like thirty times as much. So that's crazy. It's not even. It's not even that. It's just insane to me. Like, uh, like I, I, I just don't know how how they cope like I honestly don't understand how they cope like how can a child cope with all that and like they're still very resilient which is like admire like I admire but I don't know the numbers are like insane when you think about it and like I know that it's a situation but I'm like with all that going on and so like I feel like my head would explode yeah I don't think I, I don't I don't know like that's but also like how do people move forward like how are you able to move forward when you don't have the option or the privilege to do that yeah I think we should like start concluding like here and I think you know that's that's just like something to see how do you move forward you know I feel like somehow they they keep some some types of hope it seems you know um because they keep fighting and they keep living their lives and having kids and continuing on with their lives. Um, and yeah, so I mean, somehow they're doing it. And though obviously the most obvious stop to like, to end this cycle is ending the violence, you know, because that's like the main root of all the, the, the stressors. Um, but also they, there needs to be also some more investment um, into the mental health of, of these children. Unfortunately, there's not enough. So, I, yeah, that's pretty much what we what can be done. That's, yeah, and I think that is, like, that's honestly all that could be done at the, at the current situation. But I always think that, um, like, there isn't really much anyone can really do. Uh, like there's no magic wand to rate to like wave and be like let's fix all the problems and just make everyone friends and fix everything and erase all the trauma there's like a long way to go and there's there definitely needs to be way more there needs to be way more access to mental health services and health services and just better living conditions but there also needs to be like that's temporary right there needs to be like a very like put in place system to support victims yeah and I really suggest you. Oh my gosh, sorry, my phone fell. I really suggest you guys like read the 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 trapped um document that we were like going over because there's like a thirty two page document where they like kind of like summarize everything, 
and it's really good. They have like numbers and statistics and they have like this section that's called like conclusion and recommendations for action. And like the most thing, the, the biggest thing that they point out is that they basically, they, they're asking for an immediate end to the most significant stressors in the child lives lives which is conflict violence and extreme economic deprivation and they they give like you know they're calling um for the government of of israel to like lift the blockade um permit access to to, to gaza for humanitarian workers like including you know um mental health services um and also collaborate with they're asking israel to collaborate with international human rights actors um you know things like that that's that's pretty much like what, what they're just asking of like the realistically the only person or entity that can can allow for change is is the government of israel you know they're the ones like basically who hold the power unfortunately um to to change the reality of these children's lives um so yeah that's just like the sad reality of it um but meanwhile you know, I've, I don't know how, how they cope. Yeah. And I think um, definitely there needs to be more pressure on the Israeli government to do something. But um, I think all we can like do is offer, you know, like if we have a trusted organization or somebody that we know that can offer that help or some type of um, services that we know is honest and like very, they do good work to do as much as we can to help them. And I think even like spreading the word and talking about it, because I think like, as long as there's awareness, I feel like that isolation uh, sort of like hinders a bit because people, they at least people like are aware of the situation and they might, there might be some type of solution or like there might be somebody that can do something or, you know, not like fix the whole situation, but like offer some type of support. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, that's, that's really much. it we yeah, conclusion. that's sort of our conclusion again this is a very sensitive topic and we do both acknowledge that the effects of violence and war are not just to palestinian children but to all children stuck in war and violent uh, situations uh, where, wherever that might be but we just discussed palestinian children and because again remembering, remembering palestine <laughs> but again we are not experts and we um, if anyone has suggestions or if there was something that was said that would someone would like us to clarify, please just um, contact us. Our Instagrams or social medias are in the link or the sorry. Yeah, we've linked it in. So just contact us and we're more than happy. And once again, I really, really recommend you just Google like trapped by save the children PDF. And then just look at the PDF if you want to know more, because we obviously can't go over every single detail in there but it's a really good um it's really great honestly like it covers basically everything we spoke about um and also the like I said the conclusions you should read into that too because it's like a call for action so yeah yeah thank you for listening thank you uh, for listening and once again also you can let us know like if you want there's something specific you want to hear about so you can let me know in my dms on instagram at you know you know my dm my instagram and also you can also uh let luna know on twitter i think and um instagram as well we, we're gonna leave all of our contact information as we usually do in the like bio and, area yeah and we'll definitely link in the trapped um in the description 
for anyone who wants to copy that and put it in just so you have access to it because there's definitely multiple reports called trapped but it is by save the children (laughs) you can we'll link it you don't have to google it anymore we've got you we've got you guys we're all there to support um yeah yeah. all right thanks for listening